Welcome to RAQA Today, the podcast that puts the fun back in quality, compliance, and regulatory affairs. Here's your host, Michelle Lott. Hi, it's your friend Michelle at Lean RAQA, and I've got my friend uh, Randy Horton here from Orthogonal. And Randy and I have been circling circling each other in industry for a number of years. Um, Randy is very heavily involved in cloud computing. With that said, Randy, I, I just got off the FDA webinar about cybersecurity, and I realized that they are very different things, but there's some overlap. So if you want to maybe start, explain a little bit about where the FDA is at on cybersecurity versus cloud computing and the, the differences and where those overlaps are, I think that might be a helpful place to start. My sense is that I'm not a cybersecurity expert. This is not my primary field, but I watch it, is that the FDA is further along on cybersecurity, has been thinking about these questions. They've produced their own guidance in-house, right? We went through draft and final. And they're pretty far along, and they've taken some... Um, um, is is the architects would say an opinionated point of view on certain things like proactivity you know in, in market and those kinds of things and that's 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 all good stuff cloud even though cloud is used a lot in the operation of medical devices and we could talk a little bit about that um the guidance they're the only guidance that's come out so far is a consensus report that our group worked on through aami two years ago and now the technical information report we're working on that's the follow-on but it's as far as we know that's the only thing specific to medical devices. And is that the, the CR510 that we were talking about earlier? Amy, CR510 available for purchase on the Amy website and your organization's library if you have some kind of enterprise subscription to it, which is was the first guidance that looked at if you're going to move functions of the actual medical device, so not tooling around the device used to develop the device or your CRM system, but the actual device itself, you were going to put those in a public cloud, which means it's a cloud computer it's operated and managed by one of the big cloud players, the biggest ones being Amazon, Microsoft, and Google with a whole bunch of others, you know, entrants in the market. Um, but those are the, the big three, essentially. And Amazon's the big of the big three. If you're going to put something in there, the reason you use the cloud, because it, it used to, they say it was cheaper. It's not cheaper. And everybody, nobody even says that it's cheaper anymore because it's not. It, it, it could be more expensive. But it's because you know the likelihood of Amazon or Microsoft or Google losing internet connectivity, losing power, having an AC system go out and having the servers overheat. They're working at such unbelievable economies of scale with their revenue that they just do these low level things better than anybody could ever do in house. And so it's not the only option, but there's a lot of things where it makes sense to say, I'm going to outsource this to them. I'm going to let them handle it. When I need to scale, I'll scale up. When I need to scale down, I'll scale down, you know, sort of on demand, you know, computing on demand. And there's a lot to that. But the reason they're really good at that, and here's the catch for, for those of us in med device who know how fanatical we are by law and personality around change control, right? Mm -hmm. um, particularly change control after a device is in market, if they approved it in market. Um, they're making thousands of updates a day to their platforms. They are constantly updating all of them in ways to make it faster, better, cheaper, more secure. You, you know, they're probably the first ones replying, responding to um, security exploits that are being reported in terms of having teams to jump on and patch them. Um, they've got all these, you know, highly paid security experts. 
So you're paying them to do a lot of change. So that begs this question, which is, okay, so if my mom has a pacemaker, and I know there's going to be a server backend handling some of it, would I rather that server backend be in the medical device manufacturer's data center, or would I rather be, be being babysat by Google? Most people say I'd rather be babysat by Google. Okay. Mm -hmm. How often a day do you think I should be updating your mom's pacemaker? Everybody's like, none. Yeah. <laughs> so folks, we got a, a conundrum here. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember when um, you and I first talked about this years ago, there, it was all around the context of FDA um, trying to expect what, what should they expect from medical device companies? Should they expect the medical device companies to make their own cloud and support it, just like you said? Or is the FDA going to get behind how we're going to regulate platforms that are hosted by Google and Amazon and the like? So my understanding is this conversation started about five years ago um, before I was involved, because um, the person who's, who, who brought me into this and has been the original ringleader is Pat Baird from Philips. Mm -hmm. Pat said that originally he got a call several years ago from the FDA because he's involved with a lot of standards and guidance documents and working groups saying, we're concerned, we, we're hearing about the cloud and it's getting adopted and it sounds great. It sounds like there's a lot of benefits for us, you know, in terms of medical devices being there. But we're hearing companies aren't sure if they can trust the big tech companies with it. This is when people are like, I don't know, can you trust cloud? Is it secure? Instead of saying, oh no, cloud's way more secure. And they're starting to build their own in-house clouds. And we think that's probably not a good idea. That kind of went along a little bit, didn't get too far, got paused, and it got picked up again right on the eve of COVID. We had a conversation at a conference around this. And it came up this, you know, we put solutions in the cloud orthogonal. We've been doing it, medical devices and solutions for, you know, over a decade. And we've been doing cloud solutions since, you know, within a year of the cloud being launched from Amazon, the original one, AWS being launched. How do you explain this change then? How do you do this? And when we, when we loop back with the FDA, they said, no, that is a great question. That's a great question to ask. And that does seem like the right question. The funny part was we had this really great group of people on the consensus report, sort of this small team of people who were really experienced. It took us a couple months of conversations to even figure out and define what the problem is we were solving. That it wasn't cybersecurity, it wasn't privacy, it wasn't data sovereignty, because those are real issues, but they're not really unique to medical device. They're unique to healthcare data and have different requirements. What's unique to device is change control. Um, so we talked about that CR 510, and we alluded to it, but there's also the TIR 115 that's, that's in progress. Um, I've got two questions. First off, does the FDA participate as a member of either of these committees so that they're looking for the future and this might give us an, an omen to what they might adopt going forward. And then secondly, what do those guidances have to say about these factors like change control and those other um, elements that, that you just talked about that need to be considered? So we consulted with the FDA and got some general guidance from a couple of people, but they were not a part of the original consensus report. I'll, and also had the, the cloud companies were not a part of it, the vendors, because we felt like it was important that med tech define the problem themselves and then bring the vendors in on the solution. Mm -hmm. What came out as the issue is this change control thing. How do you know if you're on, if your device is on a service that it's not part of this device, or maybe it's soup, how do you know that you're stable with these updates? And the answer was, 
and this will be a big shock to anybody in this industry, take a risk-based approach, right? <laughs> That's it's the part knowledge. of the these days. Certain things are safer, certain things are less safe. And analyze the functions, figure out the risk if something happens, figure out the how something, what, what the risks are, that something could happen, what the impacts are, and then do a calculus and say, you know, these really belong in the cloud, but we need to do some basically extra controls. We need to do different things after we're live. And so the, the, the kind of the aha moment that was sort of the, um, it was not genius, but it was sort of obvious genius was we need to all get up and say out loud, we are not in full direct control of the computers that our medical device depends on. We are depending on things that are, mm -hmm. we are contracting out and under indirect control. Let's all just admit that out loud. And apparently that hadn't really been done in the industry. People hadn't, nobody had articulated that, that it. That seems like, like you said, very basic and, and like obvious, you know. Nobody had done it. Nobody had really said, nobody's said it as a point about smartphones and EHR integration, all these distributed systems. Like folks, it's a different world and we need a different approach. The good news is our frameworks work very well, you know. So that was basically the consensus report was admit you have a problem. You know, hi, I'm Randy, and I do not yep. directly control my, you know, my 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 servers that operate my medical device. And then say, how are you going to do it? Well, you assess and you do you assess the vendor and all of these things. Where the where the TIR picked up, and this is when the FDA formally joined. So we do have somebody from the FDA who's formally on this committee. Was how do you do that? How do you how do you? Okay, so I get it. I do a risk based approach. Could I get a little more guidance than that? You know, thanks. I always said, like, I yeah. thought we were going to get, like, hate mail from the consensus report because it's, like, great guidance. And it tells me the problem. And then it's, like, good luck, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Randy. That was, that was a big help. <laughs> um, so the TIR has been focused on how do you do it. And part of the initial conversation we had with the FDA was we said, we would really like this to be recognized guidance. And our representative from the FDA said, we would, too. Because otherwise, we're going to have to write it ourselves. And, you know, that's more work and more time we don't have. And we think industry is very poised to do this. But let's agree. Basically, it was like, let's agree. We're going to listen very closely to what the FDA's guidance on key issues. Because we don't want to do something that the FDA isn't going to want. Because we're trying to tee it up as a slam dunk. So there's no guarantees of recognized guidance. But we've really tried to do everything we can to make this a make this a no-brainer for them. Um, is there any, like... Uh... ETA, like on how the standard is progressing? Are we talking a year, five years, 10 years? I, so it's We're a, have something I, I, besides I, the cloud by the time it guidance. comes out. It's a technical information report, so it can say should, but not shall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've been learning these things. Um, we are hoping, we're in editing right now, and we are hoping to have it published Q1. I was previously saying Q4, but Q1 is on time to be out. And as soon as it's published, we plan to submit it for um, in the queue for the next FDA review for recognized guidance. So okay. end well, of this, 2024. This is a very timely conversation then for industry to get ready and to be looking for that TIR 115, which is the how, people. It's the how to the CR 510. Yeah. Yeah. And I can give you a preview of... I am not speaking officially on behalf of Amy because this is not an approved document, but I can tell you the consensus of the group and what we've moved towards that I believe is coming that we've been out talking about. Because um, the sooner the better. People aren't waiting on this to do cloud solutions. So <laughs> um, the sooner the better. It's really that, okay, the, how you do it, really it came down to this, this theological question almost. Is the cloud soup in OTS or is it a procured service? 
right? If in, in, and those are very different things. If it's soup and mm-hmm. OPS, you still as a manufacturer have a level of responsibility for testing it, although you're still accountable no matter what. Whereas a procured service, you could define SLAs mm-hmm. and define requirements and say, I, I you're going to do this. Certain things I'll trust, certain things I'll trust but verify, certain things, you know, um, in, in, in how do you do quality control. Where it gets really fun, though, is most procured services, I like to think about it for things that are manufacturing inputs for the device, are widgets. You know, it's, it's screws, it's bolts, it's a bulb of some kind. You have a chance when that truck pulls up to your assembly factory with those widgets to stop it and go check out the truck and pick some off and run some testing on it and say, all right, it's past the statistical sample, let it in, you know, put it in the flow. So if that doesn't work, you've held up your supply chain and your manufacturing, but you, you've protected the devices. Mm-hmm. With the cloud, it's real time. It's almost like the cardiopulmonary system of your, um, of your device. You think about it, Carter, this is, somebody gave me this metaphor and I've been running with it for a few weeks. The things your body does, it's your brain, it's speaking, it's smelling, it's muscles, it's touching things. But inside you've got these systems that are sort of internal systems that, you know, that support things that you can't do without, which is, you know, blood and oxygen and those functions. Um, and so you, the other device is useless. It's like the same thing with the cloud. You're not, it's not part of the device but you can't do anything without it. The device mm-hmm. is completely dependent. And the answer actually very clearly we got after a long discussion from the FDA was it's a procured service because A, it makes sense and you can treat it that way. And if you think about the cloud, it's really like pulling up to a McDonald's this day. You're literally picking off to find offerings and configuring them and having them installed. And the other reason was, you know, if it's soup at OTS, that means that the government may have to start going inspecting Amazon, Microsoft, and Google data centers. Mm-hmm. which is just, nobody's got the money, nobody's got the time, and nobody has the expertise in the scale. These things are huge. And right. by the way, every industry in the in the country is dependent on them, so we can trust them. <laughs> yeah. So are we talking like people need to be prepared to put their cloud vendors on the approved supplier list, have possibly a quality agreement? Like what level of, of control? I, I, yeah, I imagine I, it would I, be a critical it, supplier. Hopefully you've already done some of this, but what we're saying is you need to have SLAs when you can get them. If you don't, you need to understand the processes um, and manage that. The the truth is cloud computing for medical devices is such a minuscule portion of the, I don't know, it's probably hundreds of billions of dollars of cloud revenue these days that we're not going to change anything. So it's more like, how do we learn to live within this world? It's not like you've got a lot of negotiating power on how they do things. And what the cloud vendors have told us is said, hey, if MedTech wants to take the output of this and come up with a certification process for, you know, a sort of a medical device certified cloud center, we'll bring them in and certify us. What we can't do is have each of you coming in here and doing an inspection because we don't have time for that. But we'll happily do that. And we all kind of looked at each other like, I don't want to do that. You want to do that? (laughs) So we'll see if that happens later. Um, Interesting. But yeah, you should expect it's supplier management and you should also expect that you really need to look at your cloud architecture. You have to zoom in on your architecture because if it's it's a shared responsibility model, they call it in the cloud for us, it's procured service. It's not even as important of whether you designate a specific component as part of the device or part of what we're calling the medical device's digital environment. So the device depends on it, it's procured, but it's not actually in the device. What matters is that every component you've thoroughly gone through responsibilities, so nothing falls through the cracks. 
And then once you've done that, you treat it either as one or the other based on, you know, kind of the principles we have. The concern we have more is that there's there's things in the middle that people don't even realize they're there and risks that are out there that people don't know. And we're hoping to close that gap. On the other hand, by the way, there's a lot, also a whole lot of medical device computing, which is not in the cloud because medical device manufacturers feel they don't have any guidance sufficient to tell them what's okay or what's what's good enough. And this is designed to take that problem off the table also. Mm -hmm. um, so this is just a little bit of speculation on timing you know, the speculation on my part, you know, if, if it does come out, say Q1, then it goes through the FDA recognition program and say it gets recognized within the next year after that. Mm -hmm. So we could be looking at, at within essentially a year or in a few months from now, having a new recognized consensus standard for cloud computing. On, and cloud computing is a topic that the FDA has been relatively quiet on compared to all the other things in the software environment that it's been turning out guidance documents over the last um, year, year or two. And so what kind of learning curve are we talking about? Because often medical device companies will dig their heels in, not necessarily be proactive when you can see regulations coming. What is going to be the hardest and what's going to be maybe the easiest thing um, and what can people do now to start getting ready? I think the good news is a lot of the things that people are going to do, pretty much all the things people are going to have to do are things that are pretty much best practice for cloud anyway. It's just making sure we're using it the way it's intended, you know, so we're, we understand the technology and what's different about it. We're using it. So a lot of the things are just the more cloud-centric, the more agile, the more DevOps your organization is, you know, the more the more you're into sort of modern software engineering methods and integrating those in, you'll be in good shape. Um, okay. But a lot of these startups who just had this idea for this, this app and we're going to put this in the cloud and whatnot, and they really don't have that that deep bench of specific software expertise. That's You're going to have to get that. I think the days are done. The days need to be done when somebody in quality says, yeah, I got all the quality down, but I don't really understand this cloud stuff. The cloud people have in the cloud. They're like, yeah, I do the cloud, but I don't really understand the quality and regulatory stuff. They do it. That is no longer going to be an acceptable conversation. And hopefully this TIR will create a common language and basis for people to sit down and work together to do that, which they haven't really had. It's been sort of, you know, Q and R from Mars and, you know, clouds from Venus, you know, was that the, yeah. was that the first book? Um, I think we're going to have, that. that's going to be over because people are going to have to get more sophisticated. In the beginning, that'll be hard, but I think it's going to get a lot easier because it'll just become sort of second nature like anything else. The yeah. biggest change is this. It's what you do once the device is in market. You, you can no longer... Like, this is an oversimplification, but you can no longer sit back and wait for complaints to roll in. Mm. You're going to have to have more proactive measures, very much yeah. like where we're going with cybersecurity now. We've yeah. been meaning to go, which is don't assume you're still safe the next day, right? Yeah. And I, I want to take a minute there and triangulate off of what's happening in Europe right now with the MDR. They are expecting, regardless of what kind of device you have, to be proactive in your complaints and not wait for your customers to tell you it's a problem. It's no longer okay to, to say, oh, we've been selling for 10 years and we've only had two complaints in 10 years. You know, you're supposed to. 
and 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 there's the good news is well i can go there so there's three basic methods to do this again this shouldn't be a shock for anybody and there's this is i'll tell you this is actually a, a subject of a lot of discussion in our group right now and we don't have a consensus about what will be in the report and what will be in you know randy's blog advising you of how to what to do with the report you will do monitoring of KPIs, right? Is the system up? Is it responding in this time? Is it is the pipe this fast? Those kinds of things. Um, you will do statistical process sampling, looking at, okay, it's up, but if the acceptable performance number is 75% and we're at 90, and then the next week we're at 89, 88, you know, how do we step in and, 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 and address the drift before it, you know, it goes out of bounds? And then the third one is you're gonna have to, in some way, at some points, um, if, if you believe there's risk, and this is the debate, you're going to have to test some stuff again. You can't just assume if there's thousands of non-substantial changes, insubstantial, unsubstantial, I'm not sure which the right term is. I've been look, trying to look that up. You're going to need to assess whether or not you need to go in and do some retesting. Mm-hmm. On the, like, much like cybersecurity, assuming the world has changed, the cloud under us has changed, when and where and how do we kick the tires? Or you're at least going to have to, you're going to have to assess it. You're going to have exactly. to assess it. The yeah. debate is frankly about, you know, like how strong is this language? And it's actually, it's a really illuminating debate. I'm learning a ton from the people who I happen to disagree with on this. And I think it's it's for the better. Well, what's fascinating to me about those points you just made is that that's a tale as old as time. No matter what you're trying to monitor and control, be it like an actual manufacturing process, a sealing machine, or a cloud performance service. Um, So it it all gets down to these kind of core tools that you use to monitor the performance of any process. Core principles, core Mm -hmm. sort of best practices or patterns of engineering, architecture, Mm -hmm. quality, right? It it all comes back to Deming and Boyd, right? (laughs) In the beginning, in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, no, very much so. So there's a a quote we like to use. It's a famous quote from the science fiction author, Bruce Sperling, where he says, the future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. So what he's saying is it's like, the elements, as, as we interpret at least, the elements of what the next big thing is going to be like is going to be, it's already here. It's just in components that nobody's put together in the right order. But generally speaking, you know, these you could put you could say, oh, this company saw this and that and that, and they stacked them together, and that was Facebook, right? Or it was Google. And that's that's genius. <laughs> I mean, that's genius, but that's where we're at. This mm-hmm. all of our core principles should apply. It's more like certain places where you know, the dials used to be at two or three because that was fine. Yeah, they've gone up to a seven or eight or nine now. But I think we're going to, we're, we're turning up the dials. Or if you know, for any Spinal Tap fans out there, we're going to have to go to 11 on the cloud, you know. And, <laughs> um, and then I want to revisit one of those where you say that, you know, there could be thousands of insubstantial changes. And in, in my regulatory brain, you know, I, I hear the classic, we, oh, we can make this change and just write a letter to file. We'll make this change and write a letter to file. And then, you know, before long, you have half dozen changes or more. And all if you took them all together, exactly to your point, they're no longer insubstantial. Right. They, they but, could interact with each other mm-hmm. in a way that wasn't tested, right? And, and you're missing it's, I think in systems engineering, it's sort of a, there's a systemic risk that emerges from the cumulative, not from the individual change. Exactly. Yeah. 
And, and so I you have this other layer analysis do of doing the analysis of do I need to file a 510k now because of this cumulative effect of the insubstantial change? So the good news is I think this is very well timed to come out with the congressional authorization, sort of more specifically saying out loud to the FDA, we want you to do predefined, predetermined change control plans. We want you to basically have a framework where you can allow manufacturers to change stuff without having to come back to you, as long as you agree on this. It's essentially, what are the guardrails? What's the scope of the changes that are gonna be allowed? And that you will continue to follow the processes you've demonstrated to us before. So I think that'll actually leave a lot of latitude for stuff that you can sign and show what we have and say, we have a good cloud shop. You can do stuff and it'll be clear, should be pretty clear what is or isn't a 510K and hopefully we'll have more latitude mm -hmm. to do letters to file. Mm -hmm. um, letters to file. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think we're going to have to have some new flow charts in the back of the when to file a new 510k guidance as we move to things that are more and more technical and more and more virtual. Yeah, and again, to your point, PCCP, it's not a brand new thing as it's been explained to me. The FDA has allowed people to make changes after all kinds of things that weren't even digital, you know, um, for a long time and under guardrails. There just wasn't sort of an explicit blessing from Congress that, no, we really want you to do this. <laughs> right. Um, and hopefully that'll open things up. Their first guidance that came out, draft guidance that they're working on is AI. But I gather on this schedule for this year is also change control, predetermined change control for non-AI. And I think that's just going to be a huge boon. Um, mm -hmm. It'll work very well. And it, and it lends itself very well to the principles of cloud computing and architecture. Mm -hmm. Well, any last thoughts? This is really exciting stuff. I think everybody should be prepared to learn a little bit more about everybody else's job. And what that means is the, the, the big cloud vendors actually have courses, lots of cloud instructional classes for people who are never going to program a line of code in the cloud or never set up a server. They're, they literally have cloud for finance and cloud for operations. And so we're going to cloud for business executives. People are probably going to have to get a little familiar with that, or at least one person on each team is going to have to learn a little bit about everybody else's business. Other than that, I think this is, I think this is a good thing. And I think hopefully it'll open up a lot more flexibility for us to take advantage of this and move things faster to get people healthier sooner. Well, thank you for that. I think that that was one of my favorite points of the whole thing is that, you know, regulatory and quality aren't regulatory and quality's job anymore. And you're not going to have a good and reliable product if you don't understand something somewhere about the life cycle and vice versa. Regula a good regulatory person is not going to be able to operate well. I understand what the FDA wants out of this, but I don't know what that TIR says. And maybe in five, 10 years, we'll ossify around how we do cloud and we'll be fine until the next paradigm for computing comes up. And then we'll have to go through this all again. And one other thing I want to add, by the way, is the ideas you're hearing here and the thinking, this is by no means just me. There's a team of people who have been collaborating with Pat and I, their names are on the CR, we, you know, it's up and I want to give them credit We've had people, Pat has told me that we've had a very unusual and unique problem with this with this uh, standards work, which is that we have a plethora of brilliant people who keep showing up and working really hard on really abstract problems. And so at a certain point, you almost have a too many cooks in the kitchen, except every cook has something really good to bring. That that right. unique special sauce. Yeah. So a shout out to the people who put the time in. It's been it's been amazing. Well, it has been a pleasure talking to you. I think that this is going to be really timely when this hits and, and people will get a little peek into what's coming when that TIR comes out. 